Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So nice we did it twice. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, the premise of this podcast Ooh. is uh, we are exploring our streaming services. We have access to a bunch. Most people do. Yeah, at least a that's, couple. That's, yeah. that's the way a lot of most people seem to be uh, consuming their films these that's days. That's just life. And uh, we uh, started this uh, habit when uh, lockdown began during the pandemic. Rather than just review the new films, we wanted to explore what was available to us. And we still want to explore what's available to yeah, us. Yeah, we want to look at the older movies that uh, sometimes get overlooked on streaming services. And in the case of uh, Whitney and I, who are uh, avid cinephiles... Um, no matter how many movies we've seen, we've never seen everything. Mm. And so we can use this as an opportunity to fill in the gaps in our own knowledge and so that we can see a classic movie or at least a cult movie or a well-known movie or a significant film of some kind for the first time. And uh, we can do it at the behest of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, every time we do an episode, we put up a poll and our patron, our patrons, our patrons, Patri- patrons, I guess. Our patrons. Patron is right. a real word. Patrons yeah. is not. Uh, our patrons get to decide which film we're going to watch. We pick a streaming service in a category. Bada bing. Uh, this time we were looking at uh, films in the Turner Classic Movies section on HBO Max, which I must say is a pretty respectable selection of older films. It's it's uh, HBO Max has been pretty good because HBO yeah. is part of the Warner Time Warner uh mm. Uh, conglomerate enclave and, uh, yeah the uh, <laughs> magnate uh, armada uh, Quinn Cunox <laughs> the uh, Bene Gesserit <laughs> but uh, they um, they're also in charge of Turtle Classic Movies they're also uh, have a, a pretty solid tie into the Criterion Channel. Mm-hmm. So if you have HBO, you do have access to a lot of notable classic and international films. Mm-hmm. It's still uh, it's still not quite as good as maybe the best video store you could find back no, in the heyday, no, but no. for a streaming service, very respectable. As, as streaming services tend to go, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, try Look for a classic movie on Hulu, you're, you'll be SOL. Yeah, look for a classic uh, movie on Netflix, you'll find like a couple. Yeah, there's but like, like three or four. And, yeah. uh, but there's and, plenty to choose from on HBO and Max. And Disney Plus is... Well, they, got, they only so, got the Disney stuff. It's only the Disney stuff, but they also own the Fox library. Yeah. But where are all the classic Fox films? They're trying to figure from that like out, back apparently. in the 30s and 40s. They're I'm still not... trying to figure out where that's supposed to go. Yeah, go on to Disney Plus. Well, I've or Hulu, at you. least. You own Hulu, too, Disney. Put, just, just pick them, one. Put them all out Apparently, there. like, not? outside of America, Disney Plus has, like like, a different, like, sort of branch that is, like, all these other non-family-friendly movies. Fine. Do that here. Do it here. Who cares, man? Just (laughs) give us the damn movies. We want them. Anyway. I don't don't care what their thinking is. I care what my thinking is. In any case, uh, we ran a poll, and uh, the winner of the poll, which I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, I didn't know if you'd Mm. go for this one, is a classic John Huston film noir uh, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, uh, Edward G. Robinson and Lionel Barrymore. And it is a little film called Key Largo, Montego, Baby, Why Don't We Go? Off the Key Largo Keys. There's a place called Key Largo. That's where we're gonna go to kid- get kidnapped by Edward G. <laughs> Robinson, Humphrey Bogart will try to stop him, and Lauren Bacall will be there too. You, you can't, you can't. Uh, Barrymore is a good hear actor. My despair, and but assure, I assure you, it's there. Uh, Key Largo is, is gonna kill me. Key Largo is a film, nineteen forty-eight. <laughs> the uh, fourth and final film that Bogie and Bacall made together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, n- notorious, uh, notoriously paired together in mm-hmm. uh, Dark Passage to Have It Have Not, this one, and, and The Big one, Sleep. And The Big Sleep. Yep. Uh, I almost named them all. Yeah, I don't, think uh, I don't think that's the correct order, but that's about it. But those are the four those, films. Those are the four films they made together. Yeah, and they uh, were, they smoldered, people loved them together, they were they were lovers in real life. Uh, enormous age difference, by the way, oh, yeah. but she, uh, whatever. She, she was quite a bit younger than he. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and Humphrey Bogart is playing the Humphrey Bogart role. Yeah. He, he didn't have a huge amount of range as an actor. Oh, uh, I think that's a little unfair. Mm, I think he got typecast as a tough guy. That, I think okay, that's, at, that maybe that's a little bit fairer. If you look uh, at Humphrey Bogart, if you don't know Humphrey Bogart very well, you probably know him at least as an archetype. Mm. Uh, he had a very long face. Uh, he always he never looked young, even in his youngest movies. He looked like he was at least forty. Uh-huh. He just carried like it looked like he'd been through some shit. That was the beauty of Humphrey Bogart. He wore a long life on his face. Uh-huh. Um, he had a very uh, uh, what are you doing here? Sorry, nice. he's got a very uh, uh, kind of a craggy voice. Sounds like he smokes a lot of cigarettes. You're dead. Uh, and uh, he often played a lot of tough guys. However, when he was cast outside of that he was always very good look at him mm. something like uh sabrina with audrey hepburn and william holden he's very funny in that he knows he's the role he's playing yeah, he, he yeah. but again he, in that one he played sort of this a similar stern type of character well, just look, one look, who's softened by the end well look at look at african queen where mm. he's kind of that, adult that's, you yeah, know that, like, that's that's a little bit of, yeah. of a of a change for yeah. his the just, kinds of roles he was i just think for. it's a it's a little it's a little overly simplistic to say he didn't have range i think he just had a type All and right, he got cast that way and he i played I, I i take back my my flip All statement right. about the the career of humphrey bogart all right, um, I'm a fan. Uh, I am too. I know. I, I'm just trying to be descriptive, not critical. Yeah, I want, uh, I want I, accuracy and, is what I want. And in in this one, uh, he plays an ex-soldier who is returning to uh, Key Largo, one of the Florida Keys, mm-hmm. little islands uh, off the coast mm. of Florida. If you ever saw True Lies. You know, there's that big like car chase over like these well, that, giant the concrete sp- freeways, spectacular yeah. bridge explosion. At yeah, the end yeah. Of that movie. awesome action sequence. Mm. But like that's like the opening mm. shot of this movie. It's just a car driving on there and, to get uh, to a small island. He is going to be visiting the father of a fallen comrade. Yeah, uh, who, right after World War Two, who died in in the war, and uh, he's going to meet his father and his comrade's uh, widow. Yeah. It's uh, the, his comrade's father is played by the great Lionel Barrymore, mm. uh, one of the great actors, just period. Um, in the later part of his life, he had uh, really bad arthritis and he was confined to a wheelchair, but he mm. kept acting, damn it. And you can see yeah, him. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life. Uh, and uh, Key Largo filmed around the same time, uh, just still vital and amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, uh, and Lauren Bacall plays uh, the widow who... Um, is um, surprisingly reserved, I think, in this film. She's very, um, she's, it's a quiet performance in a way. I wasn't it's quite it's a quiet performance, and none of it is informed by the loss of her husband. Not it, that we can it's, see. It's anyway, like yeah. it, it seems like she's already kind of at the uh, the acceptance phase of her grieving. Yeah. Uh, so she's not like super demonstrative in her emotions. Yeah. Uh, who is demonstrative is the small pack of low lives who are uh, hanging out in the hotel that Lionel Barrymore runs. Yeah, this hotel is it's ostensibly it's a tourist trap, but uh, Key Largo can be like almost unbearably hot a lot of the year, so they don't have a lot of tenants right now. But someone came along and well, said, "We want to rent out the entire hotel." It's it's off season yeah. and uh, and the storm is approaching. Yeah, hurricane. And so yeah. uh, someone came in and said, "I want to rent out the entire hotel." And Lionel Barrymore couldn't turn down that kind of money in the off season, so the entire hotel has been rented out to uh, scum, basically. Yeah, just a, scummy low life yeah. assholes. Uh, in fact, the opening scene is uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart goes into the hotel bar and says, hey, I'd like a drink. And the bartender, a complete dick, says, <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you sure I can't have a drink? No. It's like Charles Grodin and so I married an axe murder. No. <laughs> sure I can't have a drink? No. No. Uh, so you and got the, to... the, the, the drunken gambler at the end of the bar says, ah, buy him a drink. Uh, she's my favorite character. Yeah, she's played by Claire Trevor. Uh, Claire Trevor is a wonderful actor. Claire Trevor won an Academy Award for this. It's the only uh, nomination this film got. Oh, uh, which wow, is a, okay. which is a little surprising if you think about it. It's a quite a good film. It's got an amazing cast. Um, but yeah, Claire Trevor was nominated. Claire Trevor won. Um, I'm trying to think what what people know Claire Trevor best from nowadays. Uh, she was in Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Dead End, another Humphrey Bogart okay. movie. Great movie. If you've never seen Dead End. Do not miss it. It's a fantastically stylish and, and, and gritty noir uh, class struggle. I'm not even kind sure of film. if you could even call it a noir. Well, it's, it's a like proto noir. Yeah, noir hadn't so. really been codified as a genre no. yet, but it's uh, it's about um, it's about a dead end street in New York City, and uh, there's a lot of impoverished people there, a, a lot of latchkey kids, uh, and uh, also a lot of criminals, and also a lot of people who would very much like to move out of that town if they could afford mm. to. 
they can't. And also, right next to that town, a really fancy building filled with rich people. Like, just right there looking down on them all. And in this little microcosm of New York City, a whole bunch of bad shit happens. Mostly mm. spearheaded by Humphrey Bogart, who plays a murderer who has come back into his hometown but, but his, to clean up old business. But his isn't, like, the main story. There's no. actually, like, a, a several stories going on yeah. in Dead End. And uh, for which... Uh, uh, Claire Trevor was nominated for an Academy Award for yep. that one, for uh, Dead End as well. Greg Toland, uh, mm-hmm. who also did Citizen Kane, he, sh- he was a cinematographer, and he was a cinematographer for Dead End. Dead End looks amazing. <laughs> Dead End would win an Academy Award for Best Cinematography now. Like, it's a really good-looking film. People do not talk about it enough. I'm a huge fan. We discovered it when we... Um, I mean, discovered it's an exaggerated term, but it's not talked about enough. And we made a point yeah. of seeing it for our podcast, all, uh, but, uh, uh, only the best review every best picture nominee. Yeah. And boys, that was that a great discovery on that podcast. But, uh, so we want we want everyone to see that. Claire Trevor has uh, the most going on emotionally in this story. Oh, yeah. uh, th- this is like a, a pot boiler thriller uh, where there's just a lot of slow burn and tension, and she's the one who kind of is going through an arc. That's a little less motivated by the plot. Yeah, uh, her, she'd have an interesting story even yeah. if none of the action happened. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, yeah, she's she's turned to drink, uh, and we'll learn later that she was uh, once a gangster's mall. And uh, during the course of the movie, she'll learn how the gangster really felt about her all of these years, yeah. and it's not not kind. And she has this sort of emotional breakdown. Yeah. Uh, so she actually has like a lot of life and vivacity, and she's really interesting and. Uh, she is hurt very, very deeply, and we get to see how that affects her. Uh, she's a great character. Uh, I don't feel the same way about the Lauren Bacall character, mm. who seems to be, like most of the characters, swept up in the plot. And the plot is, there are some fugitives on the run, and uh, the sheriff uh, is is looking after them. And the hotel is all booked up with uh, all these lowlifes, and there's a mysterious tenant that we won't see for a little bit. That mysterious tenant, once the cop is gone, we learn is Edward G. Robinson, uh, who is playing a gangster whose career ended when Prohibition ended. Mm. He used to be, like, high on the hog, and there's uh, numerous speeches to the effect of, people used to listen to me. And he's trying to get... uh, back into the world of crime with uh, a some sort of it's not a drug deal but it's some it's sort a, of counterfeit money oh it's counterfeit it's money it's a okay. MacGuffin. it doesn't matter what it is he's, he's got a big deal going down but he, it turns he, out it's he needs money. to fulfill this criminal enterprise yeah. while he's staying at this hotel yeah. and when it's revealed who he is and what he's up to he essentially takes everybody hostage yeah. and says you can't tell the cops and i'm here and it becomes sweatier and sweatier in that hotel <laughs> it was based on a play so it all it all feels very theatrical throughout the middle section where everybody's just sort of trapped in a room yeah the and play was all... set during the spanish civil war they completely changed it oh, they, took, they took a war story uh-huh. and decided to make it a modern day gangster film yeah uh edward g robinson is basically playing a version of al capone yeah, uh, Al Capone, of course, uh, ruled the ro- roost during the Prohibition era. You want to see a great movie about Al Capone? See The Untouchables. You want to see an accurate movie about Al Capone? <laughs> Don't see The Untouchables. Uh, <laughs> Look, The Untouchables is is a corker. It's like what a, it's cinematic joy, just mm. absolute genius from start to finish. It is historically inaccurate as hell, but I don't think it's pretending to be anything. But anyway, Energy Robinson plays this gangster and. It takes a long time. We don't. All we know is that there's a guy in a room over there. We don't mm. see that guy. Yeah. We see all of his. We see all of his goons, uh, played by some really great actors. Thomas Gomez, uh, Spanish American actor, was nominated for an Academy Award for the unfortunately named film noir "Ride the Pink Horse." Oh my god! It's not a good title. <laughs> and it, even in context of the film, mm. it's a stupid title. It's not. A, I'm not a huge fan of the film. Thomas Gomez that's, is really that's, good. Man. Uh... That's even unfortunate for a pickup line. Right? Like, that's, there's nothing good about that. Why was that fun? Anyway, thank God it's in black and white. Um, but uh, you got Thomas Gomez in there. Uh, you got Harry Lewis as uh, uh, the very well-dressed guy with, like, a hair trigger temper. You know he's going to kill everybody and he's a total mm. dick. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just keep hearing about him. Here's this guy. He's going to show up. And then when he finally shows up, it's Edward G. Robinson in the naked, bath, yeah. naked in a bathtub. It's covered but, in in luxurious chest hair. And, and uh, smoking a cigar. Smoking a cigar. While he's in the tub. Puts on a nice robe. 
and then just walks out and says hi to everybody. And then just Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson, not a tall man. Not a particularly, mm. like, gigantic, imposing physical presence, but he was such a great actor and he had such great presence that mm. as soon as he walks in, everybody, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Gomez, everyone else is just like, oh, shit, we better sit down. Henry um, <laughs> G. Robinson's here. He's a wonderful actor. He had a, a very caricaturizable face. Yes. You saw, you saw him in a lot of cartoons. A lot of Looney Tunes he, he got, made fun he, of him, yeah. Sort of a, a wide mouth and, and sort of a, a, an angled brow. And, he, and he just he, sort of had a... A really wonderful face. Had a great delivery. Anytime you hear someone say, yeah, see, no, they're doing, they're uh, doing Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Uh, another actor who is typecast a lot. He's best known for, oh, yeah. for his gangster roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he did, I think have a good deal of rage. I've seen him play like kind of gentle characters. You, you ever see well. Scarlet street? Uh, I think I have. He, actually, play, he yeah. plays a very gentle man who's just in a kind of a, a crappy, loveless marriage, mm. and he meets like a woman who he thinks is very yeah, sweet, yeah, and I he ends up destroying one. his entire life to like <laughs> because she makes him feel young again, and she knows she's taking advantage of him the whole time. Mm. It's just this incredibly bitter, sad movie. But Edward G. Robinson is next level good. Mm. Like I think it's his best performance I've ever yeah. seen. And here, here he's playing uh, a gangster role, one of the ones he's better known for, I'd say, yeah. and. Uh, over the course of the film, it's them just sort of waiting for this this criminal enterprise to go mm-hmm. down. And while they're doing so, they're playing these weird psychological head games with each other. Yeah. To, to uh, no particular end other than to break each other down. Yeah. Uh, Humphrey Bogart kind of... At the beginning of the film, he's like, I, I, he's a lot like Rick from Casablanca, and that he doesn't mm. really care about yeah. sticking his neck out anymore. He, no, no, he, he even he, says something he, to those lines. He went, he went to lines. war. He fought his yeah. war. He's done with his war. The one bit of character business that we know about him, because he doesn't talk about himself a lot. He spends mm. most of his time talking about his fallen comrade. Because he's gone to see his family, yeah. and they want to know, tell me what happened. And he tells them a story about this, how he heroically you know, stayed up for like 48 hours to defend a position. And um, after he gives this great speech, to which uh, Lionel Barrymore is very grateful, he feels really full of pride in his son. Uh, like a scene later, Lauren Bacall says, yeah, you know, uh, before he died, my husband told me that story, and he said, you did that. <laughs> So that's what we know about Humphrey Bogart. He's heroic, but he has absolutely no interest in self-aggrandizement and glory. Mm. He doesn't want any of that. He's actually very, very eager just for a simple life again. Uh, So when he's thrown into a life or death situation, especially with other hostages, this is a big hostage movie. Everyone's a hostage. Um, He's not going to pull a diehard. Like this is diehard. If like John McClane wasn't around. (laughs) <laughs> Basically, if there was a guy like lurking about just every once in a while pulling someone out and killing everybody, this is Die Hard. But mm. you don't have that, so it's just about like it's, uh, it's just um, about all those other. It's just about Bonnie Bedelia trying to save the day. I was going to say it's about uh, Mr. Nakatomi. Sure, uh, who who is like, like Lionel Barrymore is Mr. Nakatomi. Bonnie Bedelia is Lauren Bacall. No, I, and, I, I would think Humphrey Bogart is Mr. Nakatomi, the one who's like trying to mm. like talk to the bad guys. I, I, he, he, he meets a bad end in that movie, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he's the one who, who actually has a little bit of control of the situation. I can just imagine, like, Humphrey Bogart going, like, Hans, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> so you're, you're trying to stage uh, Humphrey Bogart as Ellis? As the Hart Bachner character? If Ellis didn't do coke and actually yeah. learn some valuable lessons in World War II, or, I don't know, what would Ellis have been in? He's too young for Vietnam, even. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, if Ellis had seen, if, if, if Ellen had been in like the Falklands, like, <laughs> like and he'd seen some shit, and that's a big character development. That's what the story is. Am I, am I, sure, my timing might Look, be off even on the, the Falklands. I'm not this, gonna lie. This, this analogy doesn't quite work, but it I see work. what I see what you're getting at. Yeah, here. Um, yeah, it, it's and. Um, over the course of the film, uh, Humphrey Bogart goes from this character who is not... Let me look at the Humphrey Bogart's name. He is just, name, he's, he's played Major Frank McCloud. Frank is his character's name. Yeah. Um, Edward G. Robinson is, plays Johnny Rocco. John, Johnny Rocco, a.k.a. Rocco. Like, they just yeah. call him Rocco. Yeah, and it's like... And it's again, it's it's this great... 
uh, technique, and Orson Welles talked about this a lot when he did The Third Man, is that the greatest gift he had in The Third Man was... Everybody's the, talking about the his character. The first half of the movie is just people talking about his character and building him up. So when he shows up in an alleyway, he's just standing there. But you gasp. Uh, because, oh shit, it's Harry Lime. Holy fuck. Like, you're just like, you've, it's been built up so much. Johnny Rocco gets built up a lot. People yeah, talk yeah. about him so much. A lot of the work is already done for Edward G. Robinson. And yet yeah, he still a, brings it. I forgot which uh, play it was, but uh, in, in the Criterion introduction oh, to yeah. the third man, Peter Bogdanovich tells a story of... Yeah. Uh, like Mr. What, Lee what, is coming. Yeah, the, it was Mr. Lee, I think was the name of the character. Yeah. And yeah, the entire first half was everybody's talking about Mr. Lee. And... All we saw of Mr. Lee was on stage there was a bridge and we saw the actor like cross the bridge. No lines. Yeah. Not even up up not even down stage where people could see him. He's just there in the back. Yeah. And uh, Peter Bogdanovich re- recalls like people at intermission saying, and Mr. Lee would give such a good performance. I can't wait to see more. Mr. Lee did nothing. Yeah, yeah it's a gift. The, the, it's the, a char- wonder- the yeah. character was built without the actor having yeah. to do anything. If you, if you could have that kind of introduction as an actor, you've been given the best gift in the world. That's basically what Edward G. Robinson gets here. Has that ever been a letdown to you? Like mm. where there's a character everybody's talking about and when they finally show up, it's like, oh, it's just. Well, it's been a joke before. Like, uh, yeah. like I think about uh, Spy Kids 3D is a good example of this, where mm-hmm. they talk about because uh, they're all stuck in like this video game, and uh, there are other people who are playing the video game that are trapped in this virtual reality. And one of whom is a guy they've talked about is supposedly the best game in the world, the guy. Oh yeah, he's yeah. the guy. And uh, when they finally just all of a sudden he shows up, and it's Elijah <laughs> Wood, and he's like in this incredible, awesome suit of power armor, and like he's gonna save the day, and then he just runs in to save the day and immediately dies. Hmm. I've seen it subverted. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen it just done really, really badly. Mm-hmm. I could probably, if I'm yeah. being honest, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Hmm. I'll, I'll think about it more if yeah. I come up with the, over the There's got to be like some romance where somebody's pining for somebody and they finally mm-hmm. show up and they're just you know, un, an uninteresting character. Well, again, it's been done yeah. on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Oh, here's a good one. Do uh, you ever see Only You with Marissa Tomei? Oh, I haven't seen that. Marissa Tomei uh, plays a, a girl who, um, in when she was a little kid, she and a friend of hers went to see a fortune teller at like a carnival or something. I haven't seen it in a long time. I forget the exact context. But they go to see a fortune teller. And the fortune teller, she, she says, who will I marry? She's a very romantic young girl. And the, oh, I want me, I want me to get it right. Hang on, let's say, let me, uh, let me get the name right here. 1994. <laughs> uh, okay. This 11-year-old girl, uh, well, oh, she's, she's uh, it's, a, it's a Ouija board, sorry. A Ouija um, board tells her that uh, she will fall in love with someone named Damon Bradley. And then later on, a fortune teller says, you will fall in love with someone named Damon Bradley. Hmm. Now she's a grown woman. She's mostly put this aside and she's about to marry some normal dude. But then she finds out that there's a guy named Damon Bradley in like Rome. So she like absconds to Europe to find this guy and she finds Robert Downey Jr. And he says his name is Damon Bradley and they have this incredible whirlwind romance. But then it turns out he's not named Damon Bradley. He just Hmm. thought she was really interesting and knew that she would only talk to him if his name was Damon Bradley because he overheard her. And then when she finally meets a guy named Damon Bradley, he's like, just sort of fine. <laughs> it's like, oh, he seemed cool. Anyway, uh, that's uh, 1994 Robert Downey Jr., so I'm going to go do that. Oh, and I'm 1994 Marissa Tomei, so sure. There's a, there's a podcast called uh, Bad Romance where I think they were reviewing this film. Mm. And they described Robert Downey Jr.'s 90s hair uh, in the most perfect two words. Mm. It was like, oh. Hello. <laughs> you can in those words you can hear the, the cock of the neck and just the swing the, just of the, the bang. Just the slight flick yeah. of the bang. Just oh, hello. And it's just like, yes, you may take me. Thank you. Um, but uh, sorry, so build up let oh, yeah, down, but it's usually written into the story, I find. Uh, but back to Key Largo. Yes. Uh, many, many films have taken the template of Key Largo, or I suppose the play that it's based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, of a bunch of characters who are at each other's throats locked in a location together. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, when like one of them has a gun and is like holding everyone hostage. Yeah. A, yeah, big, then, a big long hostage crisis. Mm, and they're usually uh, big ensemble pieces. There's a mm. lot of uh, eccentric characters. Anything from, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, bad, bad Luck at the 
the El Royale. Or bad Times at the El Royale. Bad, bad Times at the El Royale. Um, That's a good example. Uh, heck, the Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight, is is kind of a key large. I would I would say Reservoir Dogs is mm-hmm. very much in the same pattern. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah not, not not to comment too extensively on the works of Quentin Tarantino. He is but, my boss. But structurally, but, it's about a bunch uh, yeah, of dudes trapped in a place, and there are and, a bunch of criminals, and there's a lot of other films of his as well. Follow yeah. that same uh, that same. I think the Hateful Eight more. Uh, oh yeah, same. Hateful Eight's even even better um, example. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the so uh, what what I appreciate about Key Largo is that, um, and ordinarily this would be a detriment, but in this case it really works because the character work is so strong and the tension is so thick. The uh, the heroes, the ones being mm-hmm. held hostage, don't have a plan. Yeah, there's not there's not like oh, and I, we just need to get a key out of a guy's pocket and we can unlock something and escape. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, they don't have any recourse here, and even if they were able to flee the building, uh, there's a hurricane. They're, yeah, they're, good, they're out to go. Out, they're good, they'd go out into a hurricane. So, yeah. and there's not even a, a plan to sort of wait it out, and they'll be let go. Yeah, I think they kind of know that at the end of this, they're going to be murdered. Probably going to be murdered. So there's, so there's a it, lot. They, yeah. This leaves uh, the characters. Uh, I think this license. To just fuck with the bad guys. This is what Humphrey Bogart decides to do over mm. the course of this thing because he knows it, this isn't something where it's like, okay, well, they have a, we 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 might outnumber them or maybe it's even odds, but they have a gun. Mm. It's okay, we'll take the gun. We'll like karate kick him in the face, yeah. you know, like or or we'll do what what uh, Michael Myers does in Halloween Kills and just constantly just like slap the gun away until they shoot each other. <laughs> it's not it's not like that. And I actually miss the way that like gunplay used to be done in movies where it was a little less cool and mm. romanticized. Where it was basically like, okay, so who's in charge? Well, I have a gun. Oh, so I guess you're in charge. Hmm. Um, please don't shoot us. I might. Okay, well, I guess I'll just stay over I here don't... and hope for the best. I don't know a, a lot about guns, so I can't talk to like the evolution of gun technology. If they've gotten mm. lighter or heavier, there's less mm. uh, kick in your hand when when the bullet explodes. Uh, I feel like, but used... in older movies, they seem to be more like cannons. I think people just use... a gun is in a lot of older movies. Um... It's almost like you have the Infinity Gauntlet. Like you're not supposed to have that. It's almost cheating yeah. to have a gun. Uh, so if you've got a gun, especially if you've got like a big gun, like a Tommy gun or something like that, or a shotgun, uh, you're in charge now. And uh, please don't kill us. Hmm. Is the kind of vibe. And Humphrey Bogart may be a tough guy, but he also knows that those guys have a couple of guns. Yeah, I'm not going to do a goddamn thing because I'll probably get shot. It's close quarters. They don't even have to be a good shot to hit me. Mm. And if even if they miss me, they might hit Lauren Bacall or, or, or Lionel Barrymore. And I don't want that either. Or even Claire Trevor. She seems relatively cool. So Humphrey Bogart is in no position whatsoever to strong arm anybody. It ultimately does end in a shootout, but in a very clever shootout. Mm. For most of the movie, all Humphrey Bogart can do is talk specifically to Johnny Rocco. Because the other guys are idiots. Johnny Rocco is smart, but he quickly realizes that because of that big entrance, because of that dramatic, uh, 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 over-the-top persona that Johnny Rocco has, because of Johnny Rocco's ego, Johnny Rocco... Well, and his desperation. And his he's, desperation. He's at the end of his rope. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the power he wants No, to no. He was, he, was, uh, he was kicked out of America... Uh, for all of his various, you know, organized crime schemes, and he's been trying to work his way back in ever since. He's got a big name, but he this is his gang, like three mm. dudes in an island in in the Florida Keys. He is not a big wheel anymore, but he is dangerous because of that desperation. Because because of that desperation, because again, he's got a gun, they don't. So all Humphrey Bogart can do is play with that desperation and play with his insecurity. Which he has a lot of, as yeah. it turns out. And and he does the smart thing, where initially, when he meets Johnny Rocco, he's heard of him. He's read the newspaper. Mm. And he talks about how amazing Johnny Rocco is. So Johnny Rocco is lulled into like this false sense of security. They're like, this guy isn't going to fuck with me. Mm. But then, throughout the rest of the movie, it's Humphrey Bogart subtly needling <laughs> Johnny Rocco. Over and over again until Johnny Rocco no longer has the confidence needs to even. Sh- There's a scene where he decides he's. He, I think uh, Lauren Bacall spits in his face. He's yeah. been constantly whispering things to her, and we never hear what they are. So you know that they would go against the production code. <laughs> you know that they are horrible, horrible things. And she spits in his face, and he's gonna kill her. 
And Humphrey Bogart says, yeah, yeah, you could totally kill her. But of course you won't, because you're too smart for that. Mm. And Humphrey Bogart is like, eh? And then <laughs> Humphrey Bogart's like, well, yeah, you know, if you kill her, you, you just have to kill all of us, including your own men, because we all saw you commit a crime, and you can't do that at this stage in your career. Right, you can't you? go to jail for murder now. What would be the point? So you can only do it like when you could get away with it, and you can't do that right now. And Edgar Robinson's like, meh. <laughs> Because well, it's not even the, great logic. <laughs> it makes no sense. His men know he's a murderer. Like he could totally do it. But he's spoken to with such reverence. You know? Mm. It's like he's he just got Iago'd out of killing Lauren Bacall. Like he just got completely I, connived. And uh, I think we should also uh add to that uh the Lionel, Lionel Barrymore's attitude. Lionel Barrymore mm-hmm. is disgusted by Johnny Rocco and yeah. what he represents. He Morally moral outrage. Yeah, just, start to finish. D- disgusted that the f- uh, by the fact that he's still alive. Uh, he, he even yeah. has a line like you shouldn't have been deported. We should have exterminated you. Yeah. Uh, and which is a pretty hard line to take on crime a, if you ask me. Hard line, but I think like if if this if that if it were just Lionel Barrymore this like angry old man who was like hurling insults at him he would have th- thrown him in the water and left him for dead yeah but because his insecurities are on the rise and because uh Humphrey Bogart is sort of needling him those comments from Lionel Barrymore are actually hitting home a little bit mm-hmm. it's like he's insulting him and he's actually like taken aback the Edward Gene Robinson character is so great and that he has all of the power in this in mm. this scenario in terms of controlling other people. He's genuinely threatening. He's mm. truly scary, and yet he is the most pathetic thing you've ever seen. I love that. I love that <laughs> in a villain. I love that in a villain. We yeah. do not do that enough in a villain. We sometimes assume that if you make a villain sympathetic, they must become likable. No, mm. you don't have to do that. You can under. I understand where Johnny Rocco is coming from. I get his mm. mentality. I I do find him a little pitiable. I also think at the end of the movie, he gets what he deserves, you know? And I also think at the same time, it's like, okay, I pity him. I'm also terrified of him. Mm. That makes him dangerous, He's, you know? He, he's both pitiable and pitiful. And yeah. uh, I, I think that's uh, it's such a wonderful play to, way to play a villain. There's not I, enough I'm, like that, if you ask me. Well, especially know? not a re- these days. Uh, we've yeah. uh, we've me talking all the other problems like, these days. But, um, you know, you came I, close, uh, actually, I think, was uh, the first couple of movies, anyway, was Kylo Ren. A little like, bit. Kylo Ren yeah. was pretty pathetic, but he was also extremely dangerous because of that. Yeah, and they they you tried. Know, they yeah. made him too sympathetic by that third. The uh, third one. Film. The third one that uh, they went full hardcore redemption, and I'm like, yeah, 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 a little too far. I I I don't like the the current trend in villain writing, mm-hmm. where they're either just not interesting. They're yeah. just like killer monsters with an agenda right. and have no personality. Um, something like um, Justice League, the bad guys in Justice League. Yeah, just great bad guys. Monsters. Yeah. Uh, or they are given so much sympathy uh-huh. that they the excitement of their villainy is now gone. Yeah, and now we just want to see them... Mm. We just want to we, we want to change them. Yeah, like he's, he's Loki. Yeah, he's uh, bad, but I could change him. Give him yeah, his own series. Yeah, and now he has his own series, yeah. and he's this sympathetic figure. And that's it's fun, like, but you do that every single time. It gets pretty old. They did it with the, Baron Zemo, and yada yada yada. Uh, they do it with, in all of the uh, the live action remakes of the Disney animated films. Yeah, films that originally were kind of had notable, interesting mm-hmm. villains for because of their monstrous villainy. Yeah, let's take let's take the puppy skinning villain mm. from Disney canon. And make them a heroic. She's like, yeah, some anti-hero some, in the punk scene. Yeah, and it's, it's who, st- who really it's loves some dogs. sort of wild bohemian rather yeah. than you know a, a dog yeah. murderer. And she really loves dogs, and she would never hurt a dog. And at the end, she gives the two dogs and 101 Dalmatians uh, to their owners so that they could fall in love, and so the dogs could fall in love. Those dogs were related. Those dogs are from the same litter. Yeah, so that the, the that adds a weird element. The one hundred and one Dalmatians are are well the result of dog incest. Well, to be to be fair, I, I we we had a lot of Dalmatians when I was growing up. Mm. We would like adopt like well, that, that's the, uh, Dalmatians are, are are a commonly like inbred. Yeah, yeah and which uh, is why a lot of a lot of Dalmatians are born deaf. Mm. We had a we had a deaf dog that, growing that's, up. That's it's true a very of, sweet of a lot of uh, like purebred dogs. Yeah. That in order to keep the the breed pure they would inbreed yeah. the dogs so uh, that's a weird tangent i didn't think we would go on no tonight. why are we talking about dog inbreeding when uh, we're okay. talking about key largo uh the f- climax of key largo totally ripped off mitchell uh 
there's a... Uh, my my first exposure to to a film called Key Largo was, uh, as with many many of uh, my po- many pieces of my pop culture education, was a riff from Mystery Science Theater. Uh, Tom Servo, God. while watching the film Mitchells during Joe Don Baker, shouted, "Let's rip off the climax from Key Largo, Mitchell!" And it took yeah. place on a boat. Yeah. The uh, climax of Key Largo, all of the gangsters get on a boat with Humphrey Bogart, who's like their insurance policy. Well, he's the only one who knows who knows boats. Mm. And they so they take him with them, and uh, there's a great bit where um, it's a really great bit actually, where um, Claire Trevor, who we we, we kind of skipped over the best bit of Claire Trevor, well, where I, we started I opened with her. But well, yeah. we opened with her, but we didn't really delve. We had to talk about the plot, and we never came back. Claire Trevor was uh, Rocco's uh, girlfriend for many mm. many years, and he's been mistreated this whole time. And uh, she's been driven to drink, she's been driven to gambling. And there's a scene in the movie where Rocco like tells her to sing for everybody, and she doesn't want to, and she has he's out I, of practice. And I was I was watching this with the subtitles on, uh-huh. and her singing is described as mediocre singing in yeah. brackets. She, she's okay; she can carry a tune, but she's, she's clearly okay. she's clearly it's, not in her well, element. It's a, it's a wonderful performance because it takes a really talented actor mm-hmm. to play somebody who's not good at something. Well, the irony and is that uh, John Huston directed this, mm-hmm. and. Um, he basically told Claire Trevor to do it without ever rehearsing it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she didn't want to, actually. She was a little uncomfortable with it. And apparently it, was, uh, it wasn't cool. But regardless, it did get a good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a fan of that kind of... Too often we've romanticized that kind think, of emotional I manipulation. But... I think it's... Min- uh, it's not cool that she wasn't okay with it. Yeah, But exactly. after, if, if she said she wasn't okay with it, he should have explained... I needed her this character to sound unrehearsed. Could be so simple. Just he do just that. just explain that afterwards. Just do that or before you or need, before. Yeah, That's like they got it. Anyway, they're an actor. They'll act. Um, she gives this incredibly like heartbreaking, like not skilled performance performing this song. And at the end, Johnny Rocco. She, she looks at Johnny Rocco for some kind of nurture, nurturement, nurture, nourishment, nurturing, <laughs> nurturing. So, so, some kind of validation, care. some kind of love or care, mm. and uh, he he just throws it right back at her that she is like just sad and done, and that's the last straw for her. So in the end, when he says to Humphrey Bogart, "You're you're coming with us," uh, she slips him a gun, and they expect him. They say like, "Use the gun when they get into the boat, run away, take a break for it, just do it." Everyone wants to like mm. just do it. We hate this guy, but Humphrey Bogart. We watch him like for like in real time. There's no like it was editing, but we it takes place over as long as amount of time as it would take of him like leaving the hotel and like going to the boat and then the boat going away. And they're all just watching him like, why isn't he doing anything? Mm. Why isn't he doing anything? Like what that was his chance. And like was he paralyzed by fear? Did he decide that he's gonna try to steal the money? What is he gonna do? And it's like, no, he's taking them away from like potential victims and collateral damage. And he's putting them in a situation where he has all the power. Hmm. You know, it's like uh, hijacking someone who's driving the car. Yeah. But you can't shoot them now. <laughs> They're driving the car. You can fall off. You can fly off the road. Um, and of course, it all leads to uh, Humphrey Bogart taking an opportunity to like throw people on the water, shoot people. And then, mm. like, climb on top of the boat and then, like, wait for Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson has no idea what just happened out there. Mm. He just heard gunshots. So he's just talking to Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart could be dead. <laughs> he has no <laughs> yeah. idea. But he keeps talking to him. And he keeps like just giving more and more and more and throwing out the money. And yeah, Humphrey Bogart just shoots the shit out of him. And good. <laughs> Johnny Rocco is a really evil man. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, normally I don't condone violence of any kind, but it's a movie. And I mo- think this, this, this one feels like fate to me. You know, uh, well, and uh, Johnny Rocco uh, killed a guy. We we didn't mention that he did kill a guy and left. They dropped him out in the ocean. He ended up washing back to shore. Yeah, uh, and yeah, the, the cops got involved yeah. for a bit. So like things kept on mounting as the film yeah. went on. They're like a pair of like escaped fugitives who didn't even do anything that bad, but the cops are looking for them, and like their whole family is like trying to get into the hotel in the middle of the hurricane, and Johnny Rocco doesn't let him in, and he's a, he's a bad guy. He, he's a bad guy. He's a sad guy, and. Yeah. 
it's there's a logic to his end. Mm-hmm. This is not a man who is destined to climb his way back into the criminal underworld. This is not. This a man is not a second act for this. This guy. is not a man who's going to die like an old man in his bed, surrounded mm-hmm. by his loved ones and admirers. Uh, no. So th- this is <laughs> this guy's going to die really bad. Someday. Th- there's there's not going to be a Key Largo two where we catch up <laughs> with Edward G. Robinson having become successful again. No, we understand where this guy is going. He is, there is a sort of fatalism to a, a lot of film noir. We understand somebody has to, to be executed by the end mm. in order to maintain a weird kind of moral balance to the universe. Mm. Well, and, you can't just uh, let the guy just run around and do whatever. Right, Something's right. got to so, happen. And, yeah. and because there are no, like, there's no heroes and there's no justice in the world of film noir, uh, it has to be uh, vigilante justice in order to take him out or mm-hmm. uh, some sort of ironic end brought about by his own hubris. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. And yeah, here, he, what I, and what I like about the, the climax is um, uh, it, it, it's Humphrey Bogart, Bogart is stalking around the boat with a gun and he's fi- you know firing bullets into people. But Edward G. Robinson is also shooting people. Yeah. He's like shooting the guy, other, the like, other guys like, on the boat. The guy's like, well, once you go out, fo- once you go out there and of... investigate, it's like, well, Humphrey Bogart might be out there with a the gun. All right. Bang. Oh, right. Yeah. You're dead now. Shit. Okay. I think there's four thugs on the boat and they each shoot two of them and, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> until they're down to like just the last two. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's just like, uh, Martin Balsam and Joe Don Baker on the boat at the end of Mitchell. You're right. That does make it better. <laughs> It's, it's 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 really powerful. it really is just identical. It's, it's like powerful. I was so astonished. Like uh, th- there are those weird moments where your pop culture map is filled in a little yeah. bit more, where you finally find the oh, inspiration for something. I didn't oh, know that was where from that something, from. Yeah. and now I realize that was a ripoff. I I, uh, I saw a film that used the phrase "Hostel Vista Baby," and it was made before Terminator Two. Yeah. It's like oh, I mean that was just an expression, but like regardless, yeah, yeah. Well, if, well, if you I, want to shine someone on, well, that's speaking of shining. I remember when I finally saw The Bridge on the River Kwai, mm. and they actually used the phrase like "all work and no play make Jack a dull boy." And uh, I had never heard that from like something earlier than The Shining. I knew it was an expression, but yeah. I'd never actually seen it in pop culture, okay. like used anywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, or I finally understood the whole um, spaceballs joke. Dink, dink. Dink, 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 dink. Oh, the because uh, that's, yeah, that's the, um, the whistles. The, oh, the whistling I forgot the name music. of that tune, but yeah, that, yeah. that was also used in Bridge yeah, Over the, the soldiers whistle that as they mm-hmm. uh, march around. Yeah, uh, but yeah, when uh, it, it was this weird pop culture synchronicity when I finally watched Key Largo because this was my first time watching it. Mm, same, and how it linked up to this really shitty cop movie from the seventies <laughs> with Joe Don Baker. It's like, wait a minute, this thing is actually way more, it's so influential, like, it leaked down into, like, these really well, awful B-cop movies. Well, and I, I stand by that this actually is definitely in the DNA of something like Die Hard. Mm. You know, every hostage movie, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were other hostage stories before this, I probably think of a few if I really rack my brain, but um, this kind of just, one guy is in control, everyone else is just, and it's the whole movie, it's not just one sequence, the whole movie mm. is just how do we get out of the situation where one guy is taking us hostage and it's a situation that we cannot flee. Mm. And then, um, yeah, just add Bruce Willis in there. And we got, we finally took us about 40 years, but we finally nailed that formula. (laughs) Uh, but uh, Key Largo is cool. It's, like it's John Key Houston, Largo in a building. Yeah, John does the pitch for Die Hard. Yeah, uh, Key Largo rocks. Um, it's, I, it's, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it, yeah because of and it's because it's not just a really taut thriller, but it works really well because of all of the yeah. character reasons. It, it's interesting. About. We we recently reviewed on uh, on our Oscars podcast and our Patreon uh, the Maltese Falcon, which is John Huston's first directorial effort. Which is also a very hard-boiled movie. It also starred Humphrey Bogart, and you didn't care for it that much. Not so much. Which is fine. Yeah. I just think it's because John Huston had like this long career of like really examining tough guys and tough guy mm. situations, whether it was uh, sincere or a bit ironic. And um, I think it's interesting that this one is actually almost a lot more straightforward. Than the Maltese Falcon. I feel like mm. the Maltese Falcon is very uh, is a very teasing motion picture. It's well, more th- playful in a lot he, of ways. I think what what I I don't like about the Maltese Falcon in comparison to Key Largo is that uh, the Humphrey Bogart character in the Maltese Falcon is always the one who has sort of the upper hand. He's always mm. in control. He's the one manipulating the other characters, mm. and he also doesn't care. There's a lot of nihilism to it, and 
he does he actually has no stake as to whether or not who gets the falcon at the end. Yeah. Um in this one he is uh not the aggressor. Yeah. Edward G. Robinson is the aggressor. But Edward as we've mentioned Edward G. Ro- Edward G. Robinson is so uh such a pathetic figure that it's only up to Humphrey Bogart to sort of gain the upper hand emotionally, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't have the gun in his hand. And I think that dynamic is really interesting. Yeah. There's no no one to uh, challenge Humphrey Bogart in the Maltese Falcon. There's no right. nothing to sort of make me understand what he's doing as kind of impressive or exhilarating. I think it's interesting because I, I look at the Maltese Falcon and maybe a little bit more meta than you do, mm. where everyone else is super invested in everything that's going on. Mm. And Humphrey Bogart is the person from outside of people and their obsessions. So like, the fuck are you doing? Mm. You know, I think it is about obsession. I yeah, think his, I his one we, step removed from that you know, we, uh, gives it an element of meta humor, a little bit of, uh, of, of subversiveness compared to yeah, well, a lot of other when, similar films. When we referred to it, I, re- I compared it to, of all things, The Big Lebowski, mm. which well, is yeah. an, another detective story about a detective who really can't be bothered and is kind of outside of everything and doesn't really. The interesting thing about The Big Lebowski, A, it's a comedy film, mm. and uh, B, uh, he he's such an outsider. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, well, he's not a detective. He's yeah. treated like one, he's, but he's never he's actually treat- asked to be that, one. That's the joke. Like he's yeah. asked to be a detective and do detective stuff, but he's like the opposite of a detective. He's just yeah. this guy in a sweater, completely who incurious drink- about the entire world. He, he he drinks booze and he bowls, and that's his entire world. Can you yeah. be a detective? Sure, man. I don't like. It's like <laughs> the one time in that movie like, he actually tries. Tommy, Tommy Chong as Sam Spade. There's one time in that movie in the Big yeah. Lebowski where he actually like tries to be a detective. He tries to do like oh, one he cool does thing. The, the rubbing yeah. on the so, like, pad of paper. So, so, yeah. Someone answers the phone and like writes something on pad of paper and then pulls off the top thing. And if you've ever like seen someone do that, you know you can take if a pencil. If you've read Encyclopedia Brown, yeah. they'll teach you. You can take a pencil and just lightly rub over the bottom sheet of paper, and see you can the see the imprint. Yeah, of the there's an indentation marks, yeah. from the from the top sheet. And he's like, oh, okay, I finally got it. I could get a clue here. And the guy just doodled a dirty drawing. Yeah, like, <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's all like, it is. It's a, it's no a doodle, clue there. It's a doodle of a naked man that he doodled and put it in his pocket. Yeah, it's like nothing. <laughs> and, of, and, and of course, uh, like he, he finds that rubbing and it's just this dirty picture. And he also keeps the dirty picture rubbing, <laughs> which a cop finds in his pocket later. And he just sort of looks at it. It's a good, funny moment. Uh, I do like the Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the cultists, but I, I it's really, really love the movie. You have um, to be a cultist to love that movie. But I, something about uh, the Maltese Falcon, uh, with its lack of humor and with its lack of a uh, figure to, um, for the Humphrey Bogart com- uh, character to really kind of bounce off of, he's just sort of looking at all the other characters squabbling over something he doesn't care about, made it... L- Unengaging to me. What, the only thing that I, I can appreciate that take, but the one thing I don't understand about what you just said mm. is the lack of humor. I think that movie's very funny. Oh well, maybe, I think I think we're just looking at it through uh, very different lenses. But anyway, maybe yeah. so. Well, at least I've, we agree I've, on Key Largo. Key Largo is pretty cool. I, it's, I, it's, I, I like yeah. Key Largo a lot. Yeah, you you might. I, the one thing I would say is if you watch Key Largo and you haven't seen it like before we did this, um, and you go to watch it. It's been riffed on and copied or just used as a piece of so many other stories and movies ever since uh, that this might be a little straightforward. Mm. And it might, uh, you might ask yourself, maybe there should be more incident in here. But you got to remember that, like, before there were all these movies that took this one idea and then just kept adding new stuff to it to make it exciting, Mm. there was one exciting idea in the first place. And that's pretty much this. There's not Mm. a lot of fat on this movie, it's very efficient. It's basically, we're stuck in a hotel with gangsters. Why can't we leave? There's a hurricane. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the whole fucking movie. And that's all you need. Especially when the cast is this good. Mm-hmm. Especially Edward G. Robinson. He's amazing. I'm amazed he wasn't nominated. Uh, Humphrey Bogart's very, very good. Lauren Bacall is very, very good. A somewhat underwritten role, if you ask me. Like one yeah, thing I, w- yeah. I wish I wish he'd had a little bit more to do. But um, Lionel Barrymore is fantastic. Claire Trevor totally deserved that that Oscar. Mm. It's, it's um, actually really unusual that Lauren McCall is kind of the least interesting character. Yeah. Or I guess maybe not the least interesting, mm. but like has the least character of all these kind of over the top figures yeah. that she's around. She's yeah, she, a little bit more down to earth and human. But she, 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 which she really captivates her, the screen. Almost yeah. everything I've ever seen her in. And this she's, one, she's, is, she's, she feels like Marilyn Munster. Like every, everybody around her is this weird monster. And she's yeah. like the, the little bit more well, clean cut down to earth. Here's what she's got. Unassailable dignity. 
That's true. And unlike her father, she, who feels she's the not need getting to, like, pushed around a bunch. Her father is this incredible emotional vulnerability that requires him to sort of latch on to this guy who is part of his son's life and treat him like a son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to be nice to everybody he meets and to, when he sees someone who represents the exact opposite of that ideology, to mm-hmm. respond to him virulently, you know, as if, you know, like a snake had just bit him. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren Bacall is just, just has that. She doesn't need mm-hmm. all of that extra baggage with it. Um, she's great. I just, I feel like the role is just not as juicy as some of the other stuff in the film. But um, regardless, yeah, Key Largo. Key Largo rocks. Thank you, everybody who voted for Key Largo. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed watching. If you watched it before the show, if you watched it after the, the show, well, you know how it ends. But mm-hmm. it's still really good and you should totally see it. Um, next time on Critically Reclaimed, uh, we are going to head on over to Netflix. We haven't been on Netflix in a while. And we're going to look at their family section. Whitney and I have each picked two films, two films apiece, mm. that uh, one or both of us have not seen. won't tell you which one's which. Uh, and uh, we are going to let our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network vote for the film they want us to review on the next Critically Reclaimed. Uh, and your options are, in no particular order, the remake of The Karate Kid, the one with uh, Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith. Where he doesn't learn karate. Uh, <laughs> he learns kung fu, if I recall. Yeah. Weird. But all right. Uh, Beethoven. The one about the family that gets a really big dog. And it's a really big dog. And that's the film. Uh, <laughs> the dog movie. Also with Charles Grodin. We brought Charles Grodin back in. So oh, there yeah. you go. Um, Good Burger. The uh, film based on a Nickelodeon sketch comedy show about a couple of doofuses who work in a small time burger joint mm. with a fancy burger joint. Across the street. It's used cars, but with burgers and very and, 90s and, humor. And kid-friendly. Kid and yeah. Abe, Abe Vigoda is in it. Abe Vigoda is in that film, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and it's got, it's got Keenan and Cal, and it's, mm. it's, there's a, it's got a cult following. It's got a cult following. And then lastly, the Spiderwick Chronicles, which are about the, the, the various uh, adventures, chronicles, if you will, of a spider who makes candles. No, that's not what it's about. Who makes a spider it's, who makes candles. It's, it's, a, kind of it's, it's about a young boy who moves out to a, a remote mansion and there's like mm. magical critters living around yeah. it. And there's a spider who like, previously was an assassin for the Russian mafia mm-hmm. and and uh, quit. But then they uh, they killed no, the, its, its pet the, spider and he came back to kill everybody. The, the bad guy is a monster. Spider I, believe, I believe it's an ogre and, it, and it's played by Nick Nolte. I was going for like a John Wick reference, but you just kind of... Well, the Spiderwick Chronicles uh, came uh, up in that gigantic wave of uh, YA fantasy fiction in uh, in the wake of the popularity of Harry Potter. Yeah, it turns out there was only room for like two and a half of those franchises to actually make a lot of money, but everyone tried. Anyway, so those are all the options. Vote for whichever one you want us to review for whatever reason you see fit. Maybe you think it's good. Maybe you think it'll be bad. Maybe you just picked one at random. I don't care. Vote. Please vote. Mm. Uh, And uh, that's it for Critically Reclaimed. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. We're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibel. Uh, We also have an email podcast called We've Got Mail where we read our emails. You can write in, talk about anything we discussed here. Anything at all you want to talk about, really. It doesn't have to be about this podcast. Uh, and our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, we also have a P.O. box for people who like to write uh, physical letters or send us stuff. Mm-hmm. Whitney, what is that P.O. box? Uh, critically Acclaimed Network, uh, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Darn tootin'. And uh, that's about it. So thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. And uh, never forget, this was the Critically Reclaimed Podcast. (laughs) Well done.